Warning, this episode has a lot of profanity in it, even compared to other episodes of this show. Today's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by the new alternative and complementary vehicle, the Nissan Homeo Pathfinder. With zero emissions, infinite miles per gallon, and an eternal warranty, you'll hardly even notice that you're just walking. The Nissan Homeo Pathfinder, because homeopathy is literally nothing. And now, The Scathing Atheist. I'm Lucinda Delusions from later in the show, and we did, in fact, evolve from filthy monkey women. Ah, It's a very solemn Thursday. (laughs) It's Super America Fuck Yeah Freedom Day. And 8 out of 10 Republicans are listening to the Top Gun Anthem right now. (laughs) I'm no illusions. (laughs) I'm Ethan Enright, and from the place that terrorists actually attack... New York, New York. And the place where the people they actually want to kill are Podunk, Georgia. This is the Scathing Atheist. In this week's episode, a new pop-up book for kids debunks the homosexuality myth. We'll learn that Phil Robertson is actually Bizarro Dumbledore. (laughs) And Kevin Sorbo releases his new Punches Pilates app workout system. But first, the diet drive. for just a moment and reflect on the truly Herculean effort it must have taken to convince humanity that fucking was bad? You know, of all the things that we do, nothing is better than fucking. Even orgasming in one of the many creative non-intercourse ways that we found over the centuries can't be good old-fashioned fucking or new-fashioned fucking or any kind of fucking, really. There are exactly no things that I would rather do. If there's one thing that the entire human race should be able to agree on without equivocation, it is that fucking is awesome. You know, we can disagree on politics and economic policy and music and art, but this should be David Tennant was the best doctor level axiomatic. There should absolutely never be anyone in the anti-fucking camp. You know, we see this every day, so it doesn't really hit us the way it should. But even if you believed in God, you have to figure he's pro-fucking. I mean, why else would he make it A, the single most pleasurable act humans can engage in, and B, the only way to make spare humans? And yet, somehow, the nefarious cabal that runs the world managed to convince a staggering percentage of us that not only is fucking not good, it is in fact evil. Enjoying it is a mark of poor moral character. Abstaining from it is a virtue. Thinking about it is sinful. We say it all the time. Whatever consenting adults want to do to themselves or each other, that's fine with me. We've all heard this refrain a thousand times, even though it's so fucking obvious that it should never have had to been articulated in the first place. We don't go around saying, whatever temperature people want to unconsciously regulate their body to is their business, or, or I didn't eat rocks again today. There are some things that just shouldn't need to be expressed. But of course, we already know why we have to keep saying this shit. It turns out that there are whole institutions dedicated to continuously reinforcing the shameful disgrace that lurks deep beneath your undies. Generation after generation are taught about the evils of sex through as much rote rehearsal as is possible before they get old enough to come. This is a brilliant strategy, by the way. You know, you teach people that they shouldn't enjoy sex or fantasize. This is like teaching people that they shouldn't eat food or have blood cells. It is an impossible standard that all but guarantees that every human being indoctrinated with their bullshit is perpetually guilty, perpetually sinful. You know, it makes the whole you're pathetic in the eyes of God narrative a hell of a lot easier to sell. 
And when they inevitably succumb to the vile temptations of the flesh, they can only offload that guilt by swinging into a church for a shot at Jesus right between the eyes. You know, as, as atheists and free thinkers, we like to think of ourselves as having moved beyond the whole sex is evil paradigm. But even we haven't fully escaped it. You know, if somebody asked me what I did last night, I might tell them about the game. I might tell them about the article I read or whatever. But both of those things pale in comparison to the fucking. The fucking was really the jewel in the crown of my evening. But for some reason, I'm socially bound not to talk about that. You know, Daryl Ray's excellent book, Sex and God, spends a lot of time exploring how religious taboos about sex inform even the most secular people who grow up in largely religious cultures. And from what I hear, even the more liberated Americans are downright prudish compared to our counterparts in largely secular nations. And I, I couldn't find any hard data to back that up, but I mean, just look at Japanese porn. And this is one of the strongest justifications, by the way, for atheist activism. You know, when a religion permeates a culture, it also dictates to that culture. I don't care if you've never stepped foot in a church. If you grew up in America, you're still carrying around a lot of these vestigial pre-scientific notions about human sexuality. Maybe you've been more successful than I have at shedding them, but it's impossible to escape this bizarre maze of random taboos that Judeo-Christian attitudes towards sex have fashioned for us. It's a psychologically damaging labyrinth that none of us should have to navigate in the first place. It ruins relationships, it ruins marriages, it ruins lives. And for what benefit? What do we gain by discouraging sex? What possible purpose can it serve other than driving people who are wrought with guilt over their imaginary crime back to the pews? You know, we as atheists should be selling the fucking. You you, you know, we can't offer people eternal paradise or immortality, but we have masturbation and anal beads, and I'd take those over streets of gold or a bunch of virginal fundamentalists any day. They're talking about your Jesus. interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight is person Heath Enright. Heath, are you ready to push through this intro bit and just get straight to the headlines? We don't have to. Uh, <laughs> you, sure, you sure you don't want to talk about your, your fantasy football? No, the audience has heard plenty right. of that crap. Well, we got a lot of headlines to get to. <laughs> right. Oh, are you sure? Because you really wanted to talk about our week one matchup last no, week. No, you know, because it'll end up being your it. word against mine. I'll say I won. You'll say I lost. Listeners have no way of knowing who's <laughs> lying. So let's we'll just move on. Different things. Of course, you know, there, there are 10 other people in the league with. Okay, so I'll just say this. I'll just say, fuck Matt Ryan, fuck Julius Thomas, and fuck you for outscoring the entire league by 30 points. No one else in the league scored over 100 points and took a loss. My ass. I'm not... Uh, you you were the best loser, no question. <laughs> Pending stat corrections, then you got like you know, a few dozen sacks and you know. Anyway, in our lead story tonight, the Dalai Lama is and and for the record, I didn't outscore the entire league by thirty points. I only outscored Wesley from Atheist Nomads by twenty five points. Oh, well, so how humble of you to make that correction. Anyway, in our lead, Be- beat everybody else by at least forty, <laughs> but. You only beat Evan Bernstein by 39.2, so don't exaggerate. Anyway, in our lead story tonight, the Dalai Lama told the German newspaper this week that we were probably right all along. The Dalai Lama thing is silly, so he shouldn't do it anymore. Sending what I hope is a clear message to Pope Francistic fibrosis, the Dalai Lama points out that he's pretty darn popular, and you might as well close on a high note. So, Dalai Lama to Pope. Me, Jimi Hendrix. You, right. Elvis. Me, Barry Sanders, you, Brett Favre, <laughs> starting to catch on? Starting to catch on? Speaking of which, top five human rights violations perpetrated by Supreme Pontiffs refusing to wear English power. Sub-question, is it better to burn out than to fade away? <laughs> Anyone who just got that reference fucking loved it. <laughs> 
be so impressed. For almost five centuries, the title of Dalai Lama has been passed down in Doctor Who fashion, but the current office holder is proposing an end to this tradition. He points out that they're probably not going to do any better than him going forward, and as arrogant as that sounds, he's probably right. Despite his notoriously stingy reputation amongst golf caddies, the Dalai Lama has been open to scientific advancement. He's embraced a largely secular worldview, and even the act of discontinuing the antiquated Dalai Lama tradition is indicative of the progressive worldview that has marked his tenure. And in juicy lawless news... Early Balco test subject, B-movie villain, and Xena undercard fighter Kevin Sorbo once again made the mistake of speaking his bigoted thoughts into a recording device, which is extra stupid, considering he's probably friends with Mel Gibson, Donald Sterling, or both right, yeah. from the story. But, you, you know, they, they probably only keep him around because neither of them want to actually light the cross themselves. So he's like the dorky kid that, <laughs> you know, will eat the bugs so you still have him hanging around. You know? Somebody's got to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, you, you may remember Sorbo from last week's Checkmate Atheist segment when Noah reported, quote, Poor man's Kirk Cameron took time out of his busy schedule of promoting a geriatric Hercules reboot and sending extraordinarily racist tweets, end quote, to wonder what atheists are so mad about. Well, Sorbo went right back to the bigoted stuff, and this week he chose, let's give the wheel o bigotry a spin. Come on, Armenians! Boop! Big Armenians! Boop! Anti-Semitism! Oh, damn it, it's never Armenians. <laughs> Anti-Semitism. So, during a recent appearance on the Christian radio show called Vocal Point, Sorbo applauded Gibson for being a Christian movie pioneer by making The Passion, as it served as a proof of concept for the entire burgeoning Jew snuff genre. Then he wondered aloud why all those Jewish people were angry about the movie. Weird. According to Sorbo, quote, Gibson got attacked when he was shooting The Passion from the Jewish community, saying, look at the way you're portraying us. News bulletin, you did kill Jesus, end quote. Sick, the entire thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, it would be racist if they didn't actually eat so much watermelon, but come on. <laughs> We're talking about a fringe interpretation of a pseudo-historical fact here. So, Ridiculous. come on. In response to Sorbo's history lesson about the Jews killing that really famous Jew, the host of the show, Jerry Newcomb, audibly cringes like a Pope Wrangler at a press conference. <laughs> We're all very fond of Sorbo, very, very spirited. Philip Seymour Hoffman, too soon. And then he starts backpedaling as quickly as possible, and by killed Jesus, you mean delivered him to the Romans for slaughter, right? Sorbo says, no, I mean, and that is when, I assume, the producer came screaming right. down the hall from his office and pulled the fire alarm, and the show went off the air. Technical difficulties. But I would imagine, like, Newcomb just went into the interview with an emergency stack of bigotry backpedal cards. You know, he's, he's sitting backstage beforehand practicing. Say, and by that, you meant deliver Jesus for execution, right? Okay, all right, that's what I mean. And by that, you mean a bundle of sticks or a British cigarette, right? And by that, you mean an actual rabbit that lives in the jungle, right? Okay, all right. I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring Sorbo in. <laughs> an actual Italian person talking about actual exactly. eggplants. No, it's not <laughs> racist at all. And in Please Let Him Decide with his wishbone news tonight, the Archdiocese of Peoria, Illinois, and the, that of New York City are locked in a public diocese on diocese brawl over the rotting cadaver of a guy who used to be famous for a Catholic. Archbishop and Jerry Orbach stunt double Fulton Sheen seemed well on his way to sainthood after the successful efforts by the Peoria Diocese to champion his cause until Cardinal Timothy Dolan of the Mordor Diocese started to spat over who gets the bones of the new saint. 
Nobody puts baby in the car. <laughs> God damn it. Is there a Ralph's around here? We got to right. get these <laughs> out of here. Oh, Illinois. And in, in, in the, like, if I can't have him, no one can fashion. We'd expect for somebody flaunting the evil supervillain credentials of Cardinal Timothy Dolan. The pudgy <laughs> malcontent blocked the exhumation, forcing the Vatican to put Sheen's beatification on indefinite hold. So the carcass now rests wow. in, at present in St. Patrick's Cathedral, and despite repeated assurances that his remains would be transferred to Peoria once they were imbued with Pope magic or whatever, Dolan reneged Obviously. on his promise in an effort to act like the fat asshole that he is. <laughs> I mean, okay, I get that the dude's kind of a big deal. He stood next to that doctor who revived a stillborn infant that one time. Right. But doesn't he need to steal credit for a second miracle before any of this even matters? It's kind of a moot point. Details. Now, the U.S. Conference of Catholic miracle. Bishops is embarrassed by the public nature of the dispute, but somehow fails to recognize that there is no way to spin gathering up the festering meat of a dead man so we can ask him to grant wishes tradition <laughs> without looking like a fucking idiot. <laughs> And in Stripes and Starscream news, the American Humanist Association is providing legal support for an atheist pilot at a Nevada base who's being denied re-entry into the Air Force if he refuses to sign an oath including the phrase, so help me God. Although the airman in question already signed this particular document, he crossed out the unconstitutional part, and that's not allowed anymore again because the military made a regressive new old rule about that last October, apparently. Who's even checking this, though? I mean, like, how does that matter? Do they think that he's going to get out of treason on a technicality here? Oh, he crossed out the... (laughs) Damn it! He had his fingers crossed when he said he wouldn't lead an armed insurrection against the state. (laughs) I guess he's... Nothing we can do about it now. So, in response to this ridiculous shenanigans, AHA attorney Monica Miller wrote a letter to the Air Force demanding a secular option for the oath, like the one from before when godless flying was believed to be physically possible. However, according to a military spokeswoman, Rose Richeson, they can't change the oath without an act of Congress. But somehow the oath was changeable in October of 2013 during a government shutdown, or as first order of business afterward, asinine either way. Yeah, and that's the thing. This all actually comes in response to the Air Force's commendable attempt to be progressive on this issue, but but the asshats in Congress made such a big deal out of it, and somehow, despite this particular Congress's inability to pass any meaningful legislation whatsoever, they found time to force grandfather God into the oath. (laughs) Just a reminder, folks, midterms matter. And after Attorney Miller pointed out she can't believe it's even necessary for the AHA to be involved or for anyone to continue arguing about this ever, she added, quote, Numerous federal courts have specifically held that forcing an atheist to swear to God violates the free exercise clause as well as the establishment clause, end quote. And in case that wasn't clear, she's saying that this move by the Air Force is so unconstitutional that it contradicts the favorite talking point from both sides right. of the argument. Yes, exactly. It's unconstitutional squared. I mean, at the very least, there should be multiple choice, you know? So help me, A, God, B, Thor, C, Allah, D, the ghost of Christmas past, or E, none of the above. And that pretty much covers everybody. <laughs> that would be way better. So they're basically trying to tell us that Top Gun is no place for atheists. Right. It's a perfect place for the pansexual sci-fi cult member Tom Cruise. And by the way, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Tom Cruise is a far more attractive woman than his female co-star in that yeah. movie. What the fuck was going on? How did she get that role? Her, her picture belongs to the Greek diner wall poster eating a meat wheel sandwich <laughs> 30 years ago. And that volleyball scene, the gayest thing to happen on sand since Sodom and Gomorrah. So... <laughs> 
That's all I gotta say about Top Gun. Yeah, I know what you mean. I have definitely never masturbated to that scene. <laughs> and in other awesome <laughs> shit the AHA is doing news, the American Humanist Association is calling on students everywhere to join them in silent protest by remaining seated during the Pledge of Allegiance. They're asking that students, both atheist and otherwise, help them call attention to the fact that this bizarre declaration of fidelity to the national government is blatantly discriminatory to atheists, agnostics, and humanists. And to everyone that doesn't enjoy creepy fascist Well, yeah, that too, while we're at it. That. Now, David Neosi of the AHA's Apignani Humanist Legal Center has been leading the charge to remove the words under God from the pledge for years and preempts the inevitable inter-movement complaint that this effort is superfluous by saying, quote, through the daily pledge exercise, our public schools are defining patriotism by promoting God belief while stigmatizing atheists and humanist children, end quote. It's pretty direct. And also, it's a stupid waste of time during which kids could be concentrating on learning stuff way slower than Chinese kids. Right. So, <laughs> we need every minute we moving. can get, guys. And to any students that happen to be listening to this podcast, it's worth noting that the Supreme Court has already held that you're perfectly within your rights to remain seated through the pledge and that the school can't punish you for exercising that right. Now, of course, just because they can't doesn't mean they won't. Right. So the AHA has set up a webpage that offers legal resources to any student who is illegally penalized, which you can find linked to the show notes for this week's episode. And then Waldo's got nothing on Jesus news tonight. We turn to our chief theological pareidolia correspondent, Lucinda Lusions, who is live in Texas, where Christ the Savior has recently returned to Earth in moth form. Lucinda, what can you tell us about this recent appearance of Jesus? Yes, well, that wily Jesus has been spotted again, Noah this time by devout Christian Yvonne Eskelin. Shortly after praying for help financing her daughter's education, Eskelin was closely examining random Lepidoptera, and lo and behold, one of them had markings that could only be described as a picture of Jesus, or the Great Kazoo. Now, might this be a sign that Jesus is moving out of his food phase and onto a more biologically-based Rorschachery? There was some early speculation about that, Noah, but since then we've received reports of Jesus showing up on a pierogi in Michigan. So it looks like he's just expanding his scope a bit. I see, I see. And, and what is a pierogi? It's a Polish dumpling, Noah. Interesting. Now, you say that this moth Jesus came in response to prayers for financial help. Any word on what Jesus was trying to say by showing up on a moth? Clearly he was sending a message. He was trying to say, hey, look at me, I'm a moth. I see. Now, wouldn't it have been more efficient for Jesus to send her a surprise inheritance or a winning lottery ticket or something like that? Yes, it would. That would have also been easier and more effective. Any word on why Jesus went with the vague likeness on a random pattern tactic once again instead? Well, I've been looking into that since I got here, Noah. Now that we know that the creator of the universe is using subjective images on moth wings to communicate, divining his will has gotten a lot easier. So I've been examining random moths for the last few hours, and I've made some interesting findings. Such as? Well, God is definitely trying to say, Stripe Horse Eyeball Pyramid, which is probably a warning to look out for an Egyptian zebra stampede. Oh, okay. He's also trying to say tuba and either Q-tip or barbell, but we're not really sure how that fits into his larger message just yet. Interesting, interesting. A anything else to report from Texas? Yeah, it's really hot, and you have to drive a really long way to find a place to pee. All right, thank you, Lucinda. And in ZZ Bottom news tonight, television bigot, serial duck murderer, and ambulatory chia pet Phil Robertson is in the news once again with this message to ISIS. <laughs> Convert to Christianity or feel my duck massacring wrath. Only that's not how he said it. Now, the Duck Dynasty patriarch shared these pearls of I know you are, but what am I foreign policy wisdom while serving the political discourse equivalent of the fat and clearly less attractive friend of the bar role on Sean Hannity's show last Tuesday. 
Hannity's mask. Right. That's so good. Maybe we send Robertson over there to do some journalism in the field. I, like I mean, it. what's the worst thing that could happen to an asshole prick conservative journalist that looks yeah, like ZZ Top? Also, in be the best thing that could happen. ISIS land. Now, when even Sean Hannity felt the need to temper the calls for genocide by pointing out that he quote knows how the media is end quote about <laughs> excoriating people who advocate ethnic cleansing, Robertson explained that if he had his druthers, he'd lead with the baby Jesus. He said, quote, oh, I'd much oh, rather have Bible study with all of them and show them the error of their ways. However, if it's a gunfight they're looking for, me personally, I'm prepared for either one, end quote. Oh, okay, fair enough. Ethnic cleansing, that that was plan right. B. So, you know, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. very progressive of you, patriarch of an 8-bit Nintendo game that came with Hogan's Alley <laughs> and a gun for free. Fuck that dog laughing at my... And from the Romophobia file, Michael Sam, the highly celebrated first openly gay player in the NFL, was recently released by the St. Louis Rams and then acquired by the Dallas Cowboys. And in Hobo Newsy headline form, Rams cut defensive end, Jerry Jones okay with Ferry Jones, extra, extra. Bleed all about it. Wow. See, now, I would wince here, but when a story shows up about a gay man playing end for the Rams and then getting claimed by Cowboys, it's inevitable. It was <laughs> meant to be. So just, yeah, have fun. There's going to be some wincing. A little bit. Now, in response to the news, which actually has absolutely nothing to do with the issue of homosexuality, the homophobic Christian group called American Decency decided to organize a demonstration at AT&T Stadium last Sunday protesting the Cowboys' flagrantly unbigoted hiring practices. How dare? Hate group leader Jack Berkman claims that he and his 3.62 million faith-driven haters, quote, cannot just stand idly by as Christian values and morals are trampled, end quote. So instead they walked around in a circle in the parking right. lot outside the building where their values and morals were being trampled. So, you know, good job. I'm sorry, though. I mean, in the Cowboys' defense, I saw their defense last week, and clearly the straights aren't working out for them. <laughs> they got to do something here. Just try something different. Whatever you're doing, yeah. do the opposite. <laughs> hey, Frank so now we got young. Openly... <laughs> So now we got the uh, openly gay players in pro sports, bigots like Donald Sterling getting ousted. You figure someone like Elton John's eventually going to buy a team over here. He actually has been part owner of some soccer teams in the past. Okay. This means, of course, we're going to need 30 seconds on the clock. Of course we Names for Elton John's potentially homosexual sports franchise. <laughs> Go. Well, but haven't we done this one before without Elton John? I, I, I distinctly remember some talk of the Dallas Plowboys at some point. <laughs> well. That that was episode fifty three. It was failed religious sports teams. Oh, but, gotcha. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, but no, wait a minute. Because what about the Calgary Flamers? I definitely said the words <laughs> well, <laughs> Calgary Flamers at some recent point into a microphone. <laughs> Indeed, you did. It was episode seventy during the gay Canadian Muslim porn segment. Oh, you're right. It was. And, uh, yeah. And we've also actually contributed a few others to this list already. Let's go ahead and throw them out. The sword-fighting Irish of Scrotted Aim, of course. That was during episode 59's LGBT Schools of Higher Education. The Pittsburgh Ass Pirates during episode 56's Bigoted Sports Teams. And also Foul Balls with the St. Louis Cardinals, which, of course, was a Christian pornithology title from of episode course, 51. Yes. But all of them also quite applicable today, as we brainstorm ideas for Elton John's potentially gay sports team. All right, well, so. I'm not going to argue with your research. Somehow we haven't done this one. Okay, how about um, <laughs> the Edmonds Tongue Oilers? <laughs> well done. Um, I was thinking maybe if it's Elton, he goes with the Houston Rocket Men. Nice. Something like that. All right, all right. How about the Anaheim Ducks? Nicely done. They play right next to the uh, the Girth Angels of Manaheim, I believe. Right. <laughs> yes, they do. 
Um, now, I know you don't have to be gay to enjoy getting soaked in warm urine, but I feel like we should throw in uh, the Detroit Pistons, <laughs> the Washington Wizards, and the Golden Shower Warriors while we're having this conversation. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed out, though, that you don't have to be gay to enjoy no, that. No. It's important. Important distinction. But speaking of yellow jackets, um, how about the uh, the Georgia Tech fellow jackets? Nice. No honeys, but plenty of holes. <laughs> Maybe the Brokeback Mountaineers. <laughs> uh, the Oakland full-blown A's. Uh, so sorry. I can't believe I say some of the things I say. It's unbelievable. Nor can I. Now, obviously, we need more lesbian ones here. How about the Tampon Bay Muffcaneers? <laughs> A.K.A. the uh, the Gash Pirates of the Caribbean, right, right there. On the <laughs> exactly, yeah. Caribbean Gulf Coast. A.K.A. the Houston Co-Texans. Got to avoid those Muffalo spills either way. So, <laughs> yes, we so do. Yes, we do. Uh, okay, well, I, this one's too obvious, but we have to add the San Francisco 69ers. All right. Um, all right what, what about some fantasy football team names? Uh, Les Bryant and the Scissor Routes. Sodom Vinatieri's Money Shots. Yeast mode in the She-Hawks split end slot. <laughs> Crammed a lot of stuff into that gay joke. Um, it's Zach Ertz, but I like it. <laughs> um, what about Megatron wide receives Bart Stars cream? More than meets the eye formation. Brown eye formation. Um, <laughs> Money shot. How about <laughs> two Brown receivers split wide with Calvin's Johnson and Golden's Taint? <laughs> And, um, about uh, Archie Manning, Reggie's Bush. <laughs> Despite what you might have heard, he is not all about the pussy. No. And uh, see, bracketing the headlines thus with fantasy football jokes, we've we've made this headline segment artistic. So Heath, thanks as always. <laughs> Jumanji. Now we'll be back in a moment to knock out one of the Bible's best, read shortest books. But first, we'll hand things over to Lucinda. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate rape. It's a slut, right? Cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Misogyny. I'll admit that watching Mark Driscoll's career go down in flames has been a guilty pleasure of mine. But of course, the fact that he had a career in the first place is the only thing that makes it guilty. Otherwise, it's a large helping of schadenfreude with a side of fuck that asshole. I know Heath and Noah talked about him just a couple episodes ago, so I don't really want to spend too much time recounting the many branches he's hit on his fall from grace. But just a quick reminder, this is the guy that was a New York Times best-selling author until the New York Times found out he was just buying thousands of copies of his own book with church types. Yeah, that's the guy. You may also have seen him being shamed all over social media this week over some comments he made several years back under the pseudonym William Wallace II. Apparently, people who are new to this guy were shocked that he went on a thousand-word diatribe about how women are, and these are his words, not mine, quote, penis homes. After explaining that all dicks belong to God and that men are only borrowing their penises from God, he goes on to explain that penises are lonely until they find a penis home, or woman. From the comment in question, and yes, these are actually his words, quote, you may believe your hand is shaped like a home, but it is not. And though women other than your wife may look like a home, to rest there would be breaking into another man's home. And what a homeless man does not need is another man without a home. In case you missed that last bit, it was homophobia. 
So yes, Mark Driscoll thinks women are penis homes. But the only thing surprising about this is that people are surprised about this. This jackass has been making a living thinking women are penis homes for years. Remember that best-selling, asterisk, book of his? It was called Real Marriage, and it was all about how real women are penis homes. So sure, he may be a disgraced chauvinistic bitch, but at least he's losing his church, his career, and any modicum of influence he might have ever had. Not so for our next misogynist of the week, Supreme Court Justice Archie Bunker Scalia. In an effort to demonstrate the stupidity of lifetime appointments, Scalia told New York Magazine that society was eroding, in part because women used the F-word, which he used to launch into a larger discussion of when it's okay to discriminate against women. So, Scalia, sweetie, I hope you're listening, and I hope you've got an urban dictionary open, because I'm about to teach you some new cuss words. You ass-licking, cock-guzzling, shit-brained, dribbly-dicked, dildo-riding, knob-gobbling, jizz-bathing, piss-slurping, twat-drying, son-of-a-disease-clip-fungus. Fuck you and your motherfucking man-tits. And speaking of fuck you, we'll finish tonight with a little police brutality that I can get behind. A Pittsburgh pervert yanked down the wrong pair of jogging shorts last week and earned himself a free kick in the nuts in the process. I'm not usually much for giving sexual predators vocational advice, but when you decide to molest a stranger, try to aim for one that isn't an off-duty federal marshal. And with that, we'll close for the night, but until we meet again, I'll be doing my part to erode society by saying fuck a whole lot. show is often accused of being too confrontational, too obdurate, too vulgar. And I usually respond by pointing out that this show is designed to entertain atheists, not coddle theists or invite some congenial dialogue, and then I usually add an expletive. But tonight, we've decided to do something a little bit different and try our hands at cooperative discourse. All right, I think I could do amenable. I can amen. I'm a sailor. I sail. Exactly. All right, so it seems to us that one of the most important questions that the secular and religious communities need to find some middle ground on is what to do with all these gays. You know, obviously we can't just treat them with equal dignity deserved to all humanity, so we're going to have to look at some of the different suggestions. Remind me why it is we we can't do that Because uh, treating gays equally discriminates against Christians. In what way does that discriminate against Christians? In, In the way that they just say it does a lot. With no real evidence. It doesn't even make internal sense within the sentence, though. Well, right, but nothing about theism does, and we're doing amenable, so we kind of have to ignore... Right, yeah, great. Okay, amenable. Sorry. Fantastic. Let's do amenable. Go. So in hopes of maintaining an open dialogue, I think we should look at some of their suggestions and maybe find a midway point between their ideas and basic human decency. We'll start with Pastor Michael V. Williams from the Internet. He points out that Christians have been increasingly tolerant of gay people over the last 50 years, which is true because it's relative. And now he says it's time that Christians, quote, obey God and his word and recriminalize homosexuality, end quote. And then he added, outlaw it again, because recriminalize has 13 letters, and that's asking a lot of his listeners. How much longer do we have to be amenable? Five or six minutes, maybe. All right, then in like five or six minutes, uh, fuck this guy. Right. But for now, let's see if we can just highlight some of the good stuff about Pastor Williams' plan. Any, uh... Okay. Uh, don't know if this is a compliment exactly, but he's clearly spent a lot of time thinking about this, so that's nice. This is a dedication, I right, guess. Yeah. Good job with clearly that. He spends a lot of time thinking about doing things to gay people, and he's also recognized some of the hurdles that he's going to have to <laughs> overcome, most notably the American judiciary. 
He proposes that we circumvent that problem by enshrining his bigotry directly into the Constitution by means of an amendment. So. Yeah. He really does. He wants to see some gay men's suffrage, and lots of it. You're right. The mandatory sentence of 10 years hard right. labor. For into almost the a, that's real. That's real. 10 years well, hard labor. But see, now there you go. That's the exact kind of thing that we can compromise with. So instead of 10 years hard labor, maybe maybe we bid five years of limp labor. You know, like they've got to watch a bunch of sweaty <laughs> inmates, limp, and like every time they stiffen up, the five years starts oh. over. I understand now. Okay. That's a good system. Sounds like the kind of thing a closeted Christian homophobe could jerk off to. So it's a step in the right direction for them, I guess. All right. What about the lesbians, though? Well, if we're trying to see eye to eye with Christians, I think it's important that we selectively ignore the existence of lesbians. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. We're doing amenable and stupid. Right. Okay. Go. I think we should also consider the words of Pastor James David Manning of Harlem's Atla World Missionary Church, where the bigotry can scarcely be contained by the reader board. With the letters literally hanging off both sides, he reminds us that according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, quote, all churches and members that support homos, cursed be thou with cancer, HIV, syphilis, stroke, madness, the itch, and then hell, end quote. What? I, I know we haven't gotten to Corinthians yet, but I'm betting it doesn't mention HIV anywhere. <laughs> well, now look, he's... Or homos, the word homos. <laughs> Well, he's a pastor, and I'm just a dude looking at a Bible, so I, I don't have the magic decoder ring or anything, but I did read it. And what I read was, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sodomites, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. So, Yeah, so pretty much the yeah. same. <laughs> All right, so, so once again, let's uh, split the difference. Um, the fornicators get cancer, the idolaters get HIV. Uh, syphilis for the adulterers, uh, strokes for the sodomites, and madness for the abusers of themselves with mankind, whatever that one was. There you go. And how about the church members that support homos get the itch, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, let's face it. If your member can support a whole homo, you can handle the itch. I guess I should point out that Pastor Manning has previously used his Harlem church sign to warn us that Obama has released the homo demons on the black yes, man. Uh, that was one of them. Uh, he made our headlines a while back when he refused to stone a lesbian on 123rd Street, despite his church sign's clear statement to the contrary. That also You know what? It's funny you should bring up murdering gay people in cold blood, because that's exactly the suggestion we were going to go to next. That was recently offered by Tennessee megachurch pastor Robbie Gallaty. After pointing out that being gay is a choice like drug abuse or skin pigmentation, he reminded everybody that God didn't exactly mince words when it came to what to do to the homo butt sexers. Right, it's, it's absolutely clear. He pointed to Leviticus, where God takes a break from telling people not to eat weasels or fuck their granddaughters. Reminds us that men who lay with men are gross and should therefore die, because right. those all go together. Yeah. So, now, I, I guess murder is probably a little harsh, but uh, again, looking for middle ground. So, what's halfway between murder and leaving somebody alone? <laughs> um, leaving someone alone to watch Man of Steel over and over? Ooh, damn, yeah, but if we were going to do that, I mean, we might as well do, you know... The cancer and syphilis idea. <laughs> right, can, we, can we just stop being amenable now? Can we? Oh, well, so far we got ten years hard labor, cancer, and murder. I don't see a lot of overlap between what we've come up with and basic humanity, which wasn't that. The all right, whole all right. So thing we're where... gonna. I have one last suggestion. Maybe this one will help. This one comes from human skin stretched taut over a light bulb. Pat Robertson, who recently had a viewer write in to ask what to do about her gay son. 
rebuke him really loud, yes. right? I mean, that usually I, works. I'm guessing he didn't say love unconditionally no, or anything like no. that. No? But what he did say was a hell of a lot better than hard labor or the itch. Robertson suggested <laughs> that perhaps her son just needed more big, strong men in her life. And I'm willing to oh. bet her son agrees, actually. So, so everybody can be happy here. Right. So Robertson's idea, in so far as you could use the word idea in reference to a 700-year-old, is is that she can ungay the kid by getting him to do manly things with mature adult males, like camping, wrestling, do man luge, manly games of gay chicken. <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. So good. Finally, kudos to Pat for his. If you can't beat him off, join him attitude. Looks like we might have actually found an answer we can all agree on. I have to admit, I was starting to lose hope. Me too. But now that we're done with the segment, uh, yeah, fuck all those guys. What the, the fuck, fuck is, is the Holy Ghost? The Holy Ghost is a weird, wonky, esoteric concept that makes less and less sense the more you learn about it. The Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is the third and final manifestation of the Holy Trinity, getting third billing after God and his kid. Further bastardizing the concept of monotheism, this third manifestation of the one God is believed by some Christians to be equally split into one part per human. So what exactly is the Holy Ghost? Well, according to the Nicene Creed, the Holy Ghost is the Lord and giver of life. He is the creator spirit that was present before creation, and it was through his power that everything was made by the Father, but he's not the Father despite being the one who actually did the fucking when Mary turned up pregnant. He's also not the Son, but he was in the Son in a non-gay way, and even though he's clearly not the Father or the Son, he's actually both of them, which is only one guy, because Jesus and quantum... Now, if it seems like this is a convoluted mess of post-hoc bullshit, that's because it is. In truth, early Christians had no idea what the fuck Jesus meant when he referred to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Christian theologians admit as much in the saying, before there was a doctrine of the Trinity, Christian prayer invoked the Trinity. So again, what exactly is the Holy Ghost? Well, it's a little voice in your head that follows you around and tells Jesus when you beat off. And considering how insanely stupid that sounds, you can understand why the theologians obfuscate the hell out of this subject. The Holy Ghost has a number of official duties in the definitely not polytheistic trinity. In addition to witnessing to the other parts of himself on your behalf, the Holy Ghost is also responsible for inspiring the Bible. The fact that he's so crappy at inspiring concise writing necessitated him also taking on the role of interpreting that scripture for you. But not existing and being logically incomprehensible aren't the only thing that he shares with Santa Claus. He also brings gifts. According to scripture, the Holy Ghost grants superpowers to the faithful, though the fact that Christians don't have superpowers has demanded radical reinterpretations of these portions of the Bible. Of course, there are different incoherent views about what the Holy Ghost is in every denomination of Christianity. While Catholics and most Protestants relegate the Holy Ghost to the technical necessity portion of the Holy Trinity, Pentecostals are downright obsessed with him. They believe that he'll give them magic healing potions and the power to see the future. This, of course, leads to deadly levels of stupidity, including snake handling and snake handling again after you just watched your dad die from it. The Mormons see the Holy Ghost as a disembodied spirit that comforts them when they succumb to the temptation of Diet Pepsi. And Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the Holy Ghost is God's active force, or holy ejaculate. This is among the least weird thing these two denominations believe. Contrary to the modern concept of universal forgiveness, the Synoptic Gospels agree that blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is the only unforgivable sin. So if you'll join me in saying, fuck the Holy Ghost right and it's holy, you can explain that they're too late the next time a Christian shows up trying to save your soul. Yeah! 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 Yeah!
Lamentations is a collection of five alphabetical poems of divine butthurt lamenting the destruction of the Temple of Judah and all the other buildings therein. They read essentially like the self-pitying spurn poems that your high school girlfriend kept leaving in your locker after you broke up. Yeah, why would God even include this? This is a dick move. Really? Remember when I exiled you guys to Babylonian slavery and you wrote those five bitchy poems complaining about it? Well, they're in the book now, so everybody's going <laughs> to talk about it. Uh-huh. But you said we were chosen. What? That's you. You guys sound like <laughs> that. That's you. All right, anyway, let's get over with Babylon 5. Game on. All right, and of course, we couldn't make it through the PTSD of Bible reading without the soothing voice of my lovely wife, Lucinda. Lucinda, thanks for suffering through yet another collection of shitty poems with us. Oh, you're welcome, but I've already peeked ahead to Ezekiel, and that one's going to take a hell of a lot more than just a mere thanks from you. All right, Cunnilingus it is. But before we get to that, would you mind starting us off on Lamentations? Hold on, I'm stuck on Cunnilingus. What are we talking about? <laughs> oh. Uh, in the first stuff. poem, they're comparing Judah to a woman, so it's obviously just a matter of time before it devolves into abject sexism, of course. Really? Right, and, moment, but to the yeah. book's credit, it takes eight whole paragraphs to imply that once you've seen a woman's nakedness, she is a shamed slut doomed to wander forever in humiliation. <laughs> Right, and they they mentioned this. She's supposed to sigh and turn around and show some ass, too, metaphorically. (laughs) Right, right. Jerusalem needs to, metaphorically speaking, sigh less, turn around and take it. That's (laughs) right away. And that's immediately followed by this lovely passage. Uh, Lamentations 1-9. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. Like, (laughs) I'm not endorsing the sexism here. I'm just acknowledging it. So... Where the hell else would her uncleanness be exactly? <laughs> well, I don't know. Fingers, esophagus. <laughs> you never know. It, it I'm an armpit it. guy. There's a lot of holes. Now, I'd say right off the bat, though, this book captures exactly what's wrong with the theistic worldview, especially the monotheistic one. It's wrong. <laughs> You know, so, so when really bad shit happens and you're dealing with all that really bad shit already, you also have to stress over what you did to piss God off. <laughs> Which is useless to you, yeah. Right. Well, and not only does it give you even more shit to worry about, it also gives you the wrong shit to worry about. Yeah. So, so you're not thinking maybe we should build higher walls and stockpile food more, uh, you know, next <laughs> that time. That would be useful. Right. No, you're thinking more like, wow, we really shouldn't have married all those foreigners and stuck our penises <laughs> in them. Classic mistake. We keep doing that. <laughs> the high places it is. And I love the imagery that they use in uh, verse 14, wherein God straps a yoke on the Jews and rides them like rented pool boys. That was fun. <laughs> that was but it gets good. kinkier. After that, God teases Israel's dick and then steps on his balls and stiletto heels. Quote, quote, the Lord has rejected all my warriors in the midst of me. He proclaimed a time against me to crush my young men. Okay. The Lord has trodden them in wine press. End quote. I'm just isn't saying. It, isn't it sad, though, that the kinky blue ball stiletto heel S&M interp- interpretation is actually less fucked up than what they actually meant by that? <laughs> Absolutely. And then poem number two ups the boredom ante by basically, like, just listing all the shit that God broke while he was destroying Jerusalem. Well, and where does this one fall in the hierarchy of most fucked up word choices in the Bible? Chapter 2, verse 11. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of my people. Because infants and babes faint in the streets. Okay, so... What? All right, just forget about the 
mournful public defecation for a second. <laughs> Why are there just infants and babies wandering around in the street? <laughs> and if there is, isn't like fainting probably the best thing for them? So you can, you can go out with a wheelbarrow afterwards, easily collect them after you're done with your <laughs> spontaneous shitting in misery. I feel happy. <laughs> <laughs> And after the city is destroyed, apparently everyone who walks by it hisses and wags their fingers at Yeah. Oh, what a Shonda for the Goyim this was. I mean, the Jews <laughs> fuck up the god rules. They get sent to exile captivity, get their city destroyed. But to make it really terrible, a, a bunch of pagans see some of that happen and get to hiss and finger wag. Right, that's, that's worth just awful. adding, yeah. Like and, and you know God's really got his smite on when people start eating their own children, which happens in verse 20 of chapter 2, so they don't make you wait for the good shit. Get <laughs> right to it. Yeah. And, by the way, the King James Version gets disturbingly specific about this part. Oh, Quote, yeah. Shall the women eat their fruit and children of a span long? End quote. A span oh. long? A span is the distance from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your middle fingers. So, so like a, a baby Cornish hen? Like, <laughs> you, can, you can reach up there and grab it with one hand. It's <laughs> probably not viable. Just go ahead and eat it. Oh. Really? Oh. Boy, that's just nasty. It's in the Bible. I'm not <laughs> the asshole who wrote this. Uh, again, it's pretty hard to figure out who the narrator in these are, are. But in the third poem, I'm pretty sure it's being told from the point of view of God's butt plug. Or <laughs> swing of pearls or something. Are, are, are you sure about that? I don't know. You tell me. You tell me. <laughs> Opening stanza. Quote. Some analysis. I, good. <laughs> I am one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Against me alone, he turns his hand again and again and again all day long. All right. It's it's butt plug, right? It's the butt plug, yeah. I don't know, though. In the next stanza, it says stuff about God making my skin waste away and breaking my bones. But we don't know much about God's asshole. He might be able to fit a dead guy in there. You yeah. never know. <laughs> Maybe. Don't address that. <laughs> now, is it just me, or are these lamentations just random? Like, there'll be a really bad stuff followed by mildly annoying stuff. You know, <laughs> yes. God has pierced my Sorry. organs with his arrows and left me to bleed to death in the streets. And that's immediately followed by something like, and he's made my ass look big in these pants. Too, right. By the way. Left side. What the yeah. fuck? Now, <laughs> the, the third poem, uh, assuming it's not from the perspective of a zombified butt plug, has a real battered wife feel to it. You know, we get a quarter of the way through it, and it's describing how God, like, makes me eat gravel and tears me into pieces and everything. And then about verse 22, it shifts into this, but I know he loves me, and he only forces me to eat gravel for my own good. You know, I probably deserved it. <laughs> we kind of asked for it with these, you know, slutty, untasseled clothes we're wearing. It's kind yeah, of our fault. Right, exactly. We should have just gone and waited in the truck like he asked us in the first place. <laughs> None of this would have happened. We got to learn somehow. Somebody's going yeah. to teach us. I feel so dirty. Um, also worth noting, by the way, Lamentations 330. Jesus totally stole the turn the other cheek line. Yep, he did. <laughs> From he did. God's butt plug, a music <laughs> <laughs> You're right. One more butt plug. You gotta ram one more butt plug joke in while you can. <laughs> yeah. And as we've learned throughout this stupid book, the positive spin is that eventually God's gonna ask for Israel's enemies even harder than he raped them. So it's yeah, all good exactly. in the yeah. yeah, spoiler alert. Israel ends up having no more enemies. So yeah, peaceful, <laughs> happy ending. Enduring stability. Jeremiah is really good at prophecies, Anyhow. keep that in mind. 
And, and then it finishes with three straight stanzas asking God to go ahead and at least kill the people who are singing songs about how bad Jews suck, you know, at the very least. Mm. Yeah, that, that really adds insult to injury. Slavery and rhyming anti-Semitic jingles? What the fuck, dude? Yeah, come, come on. on. Like, <laughs> talk to those jingle guys. But, of course, the first through fifth rules of the Bible is that anything worth saying is worth repeating over and over again. So in the fourth poem, we learn absolutely nothing that we haven't just covered in the first three. Yeah, yada, yada. Apparently God broke Jerusalem. Right. Yeah. I guess there is a like a curious dig on ostriches in verse three that kind of comes out of the blue. <laughs> really weird. Yeah. yeah, just your typical ostrich analogy to underscore the biblical importance of breastfeeding. You know, right? Standard. What the fuck? So, think about it. Even mother sea monsters whip out a nip to feed sea monster <laughs> breast milk to baby sea monsters, but Jewish women in exile are being like those crazy ostriches who let their infants die of starvation. Was that not perfectly clear from my ostrich sea monster boob <laughs> breastfeeding analogy? So weird. It was clear that, like, I think some of this is that the whole alphabetical thing was pushing them to odd, weird, uh, like, word choices. It's like little kid poems. You, you know, you can't tell that it's alphabetical reading it uh, because of the translation, obviously, but you can still s tell that occasionally they had to start a sentence with a Hebrew equivalent of xylophone. Right. You know? <laughs> X-ray cheaters. Right. Yeah. And then poem number four ends with a quick reminder that Edomites are all assholes and that uh, God will punish them for their assholery by making them all get so drunk that they walk around with their dicks hanging out. Yes. That's Where does God come up with these punishments? Those, those are some of my happiest times. He's just right? Getting drunk, hanging, praying, walking around. Like, who enjoy and, and then we get the final chapter, which comes blissfully early in this one. And it's obviously the one that the stupid kid in class wrote, but they still put it up on the bulletin board with the good ones because he tried really hard and it's not his fault he's stupid. So, you know, they put a gold star on it and made him feel good about himself. Yeah, this, this is the kid who got the acrostic wrong. Right. I mean, this, this is the same kid that shoots himself in the eye with the Capri Sun every time. <laughs> Explodes the milk garden by opening it on both sides at once. <laughs> Come yeah, on. Okay, so this one, it totally didn't fit the, with the other ones. The, the other four, first of all, were twice as long, and I'm not complaining, but, you know, they had a kind of a thing <laughs> going on there. And apparently, the guy who wrote this one just didn't get the memo that they were doing alphabetical. This is the last one. The other four were already there when they wrote this one, and he forgot to do the alphabetical thing, which was the whole goddamn theme of it. Yeah, it's truly the Matrix Revolutions of Jeremiah and prophecy. Right. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it even fucks up the whole concept of lamenting, this this last one. Like, the other four lead off with, like, people eating their babies and old folks starving in the streets. But, but like, here are the actual complaints that lead off poem number five. Number one, foreigners are all over the place. <laughs> number two, we have to pay for our water and firewood. Like, wow. Fuck you, get a job. And number three, we had to be nice to the Egyptians to get bread. It's it's like a spoiled rich kid complaining about the fluorescent lighting in the bomb shelter. <laughs> get a Babylonian Jew slave, get some free water and pyrewood right. anymore? Dasani, really? Dasani? No Voss, you cheap pricks? But eventually it does settle down to say exactly the same shit that the other four poems say. Right. God prefers syrup. Exactly. <laughs> Which means that the end of it, like the end of the first four, is a disclaimer that even though he killed all the men and left all the women to be raped and enslaved, God's still a swell guy. It was all our fault. We shouldn't have burned his dinner in the first place. He's still awesome. <laughs> she was like Janae Rice at a press conference. Oh, oh so, just, 
Wow. Oh, That's burn. quite topical. It's yeah. another way of saying too soon. But, you know, hey. Even the final line hedges its bets. Chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Yeah, keep that sentence in mind, by the way, next <laughs> time somebody gives you the but it's great literature bullshit. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, yes, restore our restoration that we may be restored. <laughs> anyway, then he also throws in this exception, of course. Renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Right. Which would still be totally cool. Uh, we still like you anyway, even if it's just as a friend. You know, just please stop killing us. Right. That'd be awesome. Circle yes or no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leave the note back. Fold it the right way, though. Yeah, not much in the way of a positive spin on this one, but at least it was short. That's positive. Right. It was only five chapters too long instead of 48 chapters too long, like the next yeah. one. That, Ezekiel, yeah, right. Nasty long, that one. But the good news is after that... Like, the longest book we've got left are the Gospels. You know, we are so close to the end of the Old Testament, I can taste the salty goodness of Yahweh's pre-cum. Jesus <laughs> is going to show up any minute. Anyway, thanks again, and enjoy the three Bible-less weeks between now and Ezekiel. Um, what's the over-under, by the way, on Pulp Fiction quotes between <laughs> the two of you? On this one? <laughs> Seriously, I'm setting it at about 12. Over. 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 <laughs> <laughs> It's time for the part of the show that comes next, listener feedback. This is the part of the show that I couldn't come up with an intro for the first time I did it, thus condemning myself to come up with something new every week. Our first message comes from the Good Shepherd on Twitter, who pointed out that during our discussion of the upcoming cinematic debacle, Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas, we somehow neglected to mention that Kirk Cameron's character name in it was, I swear to God, it's Christian White. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I am as concerned by this as you are, Good Shepherd. We had an opportunity to make a K.K. Kirk Cameron joke, and we missed it. <laughs> I sincerely apologize for the oversight and promise to take concrete steps to ensure a mistake of that magnitude doesn't happen again. Our next message the comes from boner. self-identified fat lesbian Rebecca on Twitter, who tweeted to Heath to wish him a happy birthday and say, somehow you managed to pull off rape jokes and still be the only safe atheist space for women that I've found. Thank you. <laughs> I was so happy to get that. You are welcome. But I was not being sarcastic about any of that. I mean, I fully intend for my rape jokes to be taken literally as misogynistic and hateful, it, clearly. So glad it's, it's amazing how it. often people think that. You know, we get messages that say it's okay that you guys make fun of groups A, B, and C, but stop making fun of group D. That's over the line. Like, right. Th th that's a soft bigotry all on its own. If you make fun of every group, that's equality. <laughs> exactly. But thank you. Rebecca, forgetting me. Also, if words offend you, you're being stupid yes, you in are. general. So yeah. I've said it before and I'll say it again too. I never punch down in comedy because nobody is beneath me. I am the lowest rung. <laughs> and finally <laughs> tonight we got a Facebook message from Steve in Belgium. After listening to our Holy Babylon Song of Solomon, a.k.a. Song of Songs, he wrote us to say, inspired by the recent coverage of Song of Songs, or whichever the song is with all the fucking in it, Plus, staying in a couple of hotels last week, I had an idea for hotel room Bibles. You can steal and sell them, a la Stanhope. You can conceal them somewhere in the room. But I'll be bookmarking the Bible porn, squirting in some mayonnaise with an authentic splooge pattern, and reshelving. Authentic. That's his words. I mean, or just save the mayo and beat off. And You're going to do that anyway. Yeah, exactly. 
And as long as pages stick together, really, your work is done. Anyway, we loved Steve's suggestion, and that got Heath and I to thinking about some other possible options for what to do with those hotel Bibles, which obviously got us thinking top ten. So here we go. Top ten things to do with a hotel Bible. Excellent. Number ten. Find Justice Scalia and throw it at him. <laughs> face. Number nine. Write a list of spoilers on the title page. That'll piss him off. <laughs> Number eight. Be green. You know, Scrabble score pad, then recycle to make a makeshift menstrual pad. You just, you know, <laughs> bottom off. <laughs> that's, that's like two ideas in one. Number seven, you could hollow it out, put a little rock hammer in it, and then use it to slowly dig your way out of the hotel over many years. <laughs> Number six, what if you uh, pull out a block of pages in the middle and replace it with On the Origin of Species so they just yeah. come off with a surprise? Even notice. Number five, doodle dicks. <laughs> Number four, <laughs> absolutely, always. Number four, it's a good classy parchment for a suicide note, so that's nice. Way to use it. Number three, wrap it in a cover that says Religion X. See if it still pick it up. <laughs> Number two, uh, what if you save up 15 or 20 and you, you send the Ferguson PD a homemade bulletproof vest? You all set. And the number one use for a hotel Bible, of course, emergency rolling papers. It does actually I've work. It's, I've done yeah, that many times. It doesn't taste very good, but it's it works. It works. And that's all the feedback you get. If you want more, send us more emails, Facebook messages, blog comments, and tweets. You'll find all the contact information at hscathingangels.com. Before we pinch things off for the night, I wanted to remind everybody that we're creeping up on podcast award nomination season. Now, last year we were ineligible because our show didn't start on or before January 1st, so we are redshirt freshmen going into this season. They haven't announced anything at all about the nomination phase, so I'm just buttering you up early because Heath, Lucinda, and I really, really, really want a podcast award this year. And what's more, damn it, I think we've earned one. So stay tuned for some begging and pleading once we get a little closer to the nomination phase on that one. I also wanted to remind everybody that our book, Diatribes, Volume 1, 50 Essays from a Godless Misanthrope, is available. Available as both a paperback and an ebook. You can find links to pick up your copy on our homepage at scathingatheist.com. It has an expanded version of the first 50 diatribes from this show, but more than a third of the book is all new material, and from what I've heard, it is pretty darn good. Of course, I need to thank Heath for kicking more ass than a donkey ninja. I need to thank Lucinda, who, and I know I'm biased here, but just gets better at this shit every week. I also want to thank her for providing this week's Farnsworth quote when my email went down for half the fucking day and cut off my access to my spare Farnsworth quote file. And speaking of which, that file is getting a little bit low, so if you have a blog, a podcast or a Facebook page or anything of general interest to atheists that you'd like to promote, I will unconditionally pimp your shit in exchange for a Farnsworth quote. So if you're interested, check the contact page on the website and shoot me a sound file. But most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's most honorable hominids, Andrew, Paul, Steve, Drew, David, Jay, Richard, Joseph, Kimbicott, and Thomas. Andrew, Paul, and Drew, whose erections are measured in stories. David, Jay, and Richard, whose genetic perfection makes their sperm a taxable commodity. Joseph, Kimbicott, and Thomas, whose sexual magnetism is what keeps those 26-dimensional strings vibrating. And Steve, who in addition to inspiring this week's top 10, also made the donation that got us to precisely $666 an episode on Patreon, and in so doing, added an extra 12 cents per episode to his donation, thus alleviating my OCD every time I saw that trailing 88 cents. 
and is thus crowned the official Belgian of the scathing atheist. These ten wise men I befriend and commend have helped recompense the expense when they sent us some sense to extend the offense we intend to dispense in means of defense against the immense lack of sense from the dents this week by giving us money. If you'd like to earn a spot in both my heart and my outro, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash scathingatheist, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And of course, if you'd like to help but you spend all your money on home vampire defense upgrades, you can also help us a ton by leaving us a glowing review on iTunes or Stitcher and recommending the show to somebody who can handle all the fucks and Jesus insults and whatnot. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at skatingatheist.com. All the music used in this episode was written and performed by yours truly, and yes, I did have my permission. Backing it up. Right. I am one who has been... (laughs) <laughs> Backing it up. Okay. <laughs> anyway, you were saying anyway, quote. Anyway, quote. Oh shit! I.